kind of last couple of years has been for us has been a time of traveling, living off the income, really haven't tried to grow as much. It's been more about kind of turning the wealth we had already built into cash flow and lower risk. And so we've paid off debt, we've increased our cash flow, we've sold properties that were kind of a hassle. And now we're just making connections, meeting people, putting yourself out there a little bit outside your comfort zone is where you learn. And with the, the nuts and bolts of just the tactics in the, in the present moment, it's just, it's a tricky balance, you know, because, you know, you do want to think about where you want to be. And I want to be financially independent, financial freedom. But I would say probably 5% of your focus should be on that, maybe less. And 95% of the focus should be just using that that the big picture just as a guy, like a compass. The 95% is you figuring out today what you can do to move forward today. And the habits, the more hours you put into something, the better you get. And the better you get, the more re- rewarding it is. So just taking those little actions and moving you, doing the little things you need to do to to be that person, to be that, have that career or whatever your success areas that you choose. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, a show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 335. Stace, how's it going? Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. It's been a good day today. So hope everyone had happy holidays and stayed safe and, and had a great time. Yeah, our uh, our Christmas gets a little more exciting every year as the kids get a little bit older and uh, can participate and are more into it, I guess, so to speak. And uh, yeah, it's been good. I guess this is probably one of the first ones we've had with just... Uh, just our family here in the last little bit it was uh, nice and relaxing and and good. So hope everybody had a great Christmas out there. And uh, yeah, New Year's is just around the corner. So super excited for that as well. And getting into the new year, 2024, putting 2023 here last week of the year in the rear view mirror uh, pretty quickly. A few housekeeping things. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Got 2024 schedule open in Q1, Q2. Love to uh, get some more interviewees on uh, on on the schedule. Also, if you haven't left a review, please do so. Helps us continue to grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. Should uh, should probably get to a thousand this year. We'll see. We're in the low 800s, but or I guess next year we're in the low 800s right now on iTunes anyway. We'll see if we can uh, get to a thousand. It'd be pretty pretty remarkable. Uh, today's episode has returning guest. This is with Coach Carson. Uh, net worth over five million. Today's episode, though, features him and his wife, which is uh pretty unique. We haven't had too many husband and wife uh couples on. Have a few more in the pipeline. In fact, actually, we just did a episode not too long ago that'll release here in probably next little bit here. With a whole family. So that one's going to be exciting. But yeah, husband and wife get to dive a little bit into their story. So we had Coach Carson way back in the early days, I guess the early days of the podcast, episode number 49. And we got into his real estate journey. And today, he came back on the podcast with his wife, now worth over $5 million. About 90% of it's in real estate. A little bit in the market. And uh, yeah, is living a great life full of freedom. 
in fact, they've taken some of that newfound freedom recently and went and lived in Spain, and before that lived in Ecuador, which we get into all the details uh, surrounding that and why they decided to do that and what the what their real estate portfolio, which I guess they're just shy of uh, 100 units now, and he does have a partner, which he mentions uh, in that. But uh, yes, great episode with them. So without any further delay, let's get in the episode with Chad and Carrie. Guys, today we show we have Chad and Carrie. In fact, Chad is returning. You might know him as Coach Carson. Chad and Carrie, how's it going? We're doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having us. This is great. Yeah. So, Chad, or should we call you Coach Carson? Because I know that's kind of really your 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 name. Everywhere Either way else. is good. Yeah. What I mean, in the last couple of years, I mean, give us kind of a, a an update. I mean, how much has the net worth grown? Asset allocation. What's changed? What's going on with you? Yeah. Well, in, in the net worth department, this has been a good challenge to come on the show because I was like, I, I don't even know. Like, what what is it? So <laughs> I did it in about a year, and it was just north of about five million. Best. I could tell. I mentioned nice. to you in the email some of the some of the real estate is just until you sell the thing, it's you don't no know. Idea. You know, have a yeah. kind of good guess. But I've been pleasantly surprised. Some of the, we're in, in Clemson, South Carolina. Some of the properties have gone up pretty well. It's a college town where the university's been growing, and so some of the some of the properties not only are you know the values on the income, some of it's redevelopment type values. So I just I don't know 100, percent but we're 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 good there. And the kind of the last couple of years has been for us has been. A time of traveling, living off the income, really haven't tried to grow as much. It's been more about kind of turning the wealth we had already built into cash flow and lower risk. And so we've paid off debt, we've increased our cash flow, we've sold properties that were kind of a hassle. And now we're just, you know, we, we, we spent a, a year in Spain, which we're happy to talk about just with our kids and they went to school there. And so that was a big part of our focus and less on the net worth and the wealth and all of that, which is kind of the point for us early on. Nice. So I, I want to get into a little bit more of the details of about selling properties off and kind of optimizing, which it sounds like has been really the main focus. But what? How many doors does this put up? Put you up to now? We are. I have a business partner, by the way. So when I say we, uh, he and I own the, own our business 50-50. So we have ninety nine units in that business, and then out of that, some of those are multifamily properties. So we have some twelve unit, four units, things like that. So we have thirty three properties total, and that make that's ninety nine units. Wow. And most of these are pretty close to where you live? Yeah. So we're in Clemson, South Carolina. And most our kind of goal was to get close to the university because it's a small it's kind of a weird town. It's fifteen thousand people who live in the town and the university has twenty-five thousand students. So it's like the university is like the dominant part of the landscape landscape. And so if you're a lot of ours are student rentals. And so we try to be on the bus line, try to be walkable to campus if we can, or walkable to the downtown area. And then we have a mix though. Some of ours are apartments for students, and we try to get like the grad students and the older Students who are a little bit more mature, paying their own way, aren't throwing as many parties, that kind of thing. And we, we like like one bedroom and studio and maybe maybe a two bedroom instead of a really big, you know, m- many people think about college rentals and like Animal House and big house and there's 10 people living in the college rental. Not at all. That's not that's not our deal. We like the older properties that we can fix up, find a mature you know, responsible college student, which there are plenty of those. And then we also have some houses. Nice. Congrats, y'all. And Carrie, how has this journey oh, been it's from, been interesting. from your well, side? When I first met Chad, kind of this real we met portfolio um, get built at the over the Center. last few years. And when we left, we, we left in a yoga class. In a yoga class. And we, when we would leave, we would leave going the same direction. So I didn't know. We had never spoken with him, but his car said, we buy houses on it. So I oh, must drive his boss's car. What is this car? And I'd never talked to him. And then... <laughs> As we started dating, I was like, oh, oh, this is your car. You did this to your car. And um, so to see the process has been amazing. The year that we got 
married or we got engaged, how many properties did you buy that year, Chad? Yeah, we. I think that that was the busiest year we ever had, 2007, and we had 33 closings that year. So we, it's kind of part of our story. We went way too fast, went way too accelerated it to in a bad timing to 2007, right before the Great Recession. So we we didn't predict anything very well. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, in 2007, it wasn't exactly great timing either. We had you know, bought a lot of properties, 33 properties in one year. And so we just grew a lot. But part of our story was that wasn't such a smart thing. That I, Part of that experience, the risk of it, the hassle of it, the amount of time we were spending on it kind of reminded me and my business partner, like, why, why are we doing this in the first place? Like, we're growing and scaling and 10xing and kind of doing what everybody else told us we're supposed to do. Like, you go to a class or read a book, everybody says you're supposed to go small to medium to big. That's what you're supposed to do, and you're supposed to do it faster. Well, that at about the same time, I was reading books like The 4-Hour Work Week and a personal finance book called Your Money or Your Life, which were talking about like finding these places called enough, like when you have enough or when you're growing fast enough and that your life is actually the, the point, not the business itself. So we really kind of reset a little bit after 2007. First, we had to survive. <laughs> then we reset and started focusing more on like, these are the things we want to do. We want to travel. We want to you know, we wanted to have kids and have a family. We wanted to be present with them. We had all these life things that we wanted to do. Some of them required money, but most of them actually just required a lot of time and flexibility. So we started thinking about a simpler, smaller version of a real estate business that still satisfied all the financial needs, but wasn't quite so intense. It wasn't quite so big. And that was sort of the pivot that, that we made then that it took a while to kind of evolved to that. But that was, Carrie was through, there throughout the, all, all of that from the very beginning and the ups and the downs. And yeah, we bought a couple of properties together as well. Awesome. So this journey really started almost, I mean, 15, 20 years ago at this point? Yeah, 21 years. So we, wow. I was, I was uh, 23 and Carrie just moved into Clemson to be a Spanish teacher. I don't know if you want to tell that part of the story, but <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> A Spanish teacher. I had my career. I hadn't planned on meeting anyone and uh, had my little, my way I was doing things. And then um, we met and Chad changed the way I thought about money completely because I was, you know, I didn't spend a lot. I was frugal and I studied a lot of um, Latin American history. So I saw the the negative side of, of capitalism. And I learned that Chad was a capitalist. I didn't know if that was going to work. Um, and then I learned about social capital and how you can be responsible. And um, and so it's changed my my perspective on things and see money as a tool now and uh, can be used for good. And vice versa. I think that conversation back and forth between us was about like, yeah, money and capitalism and real estate investing. You can, there's a lot of people screwing people over, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of that. So how do you have business that actually tries to be a net, net positive in a to making money. That's always been important, important to us. And I, I personally think that the best business owners add a lot of value and there's always bad apples, but I think we add value to society and the, to the extent that you build wealth is how much value you added to other people. And that's the, that's the beautiful part about it. Yeah. I love that. So that, uh, that bumper sticker got you then Carrie, huh? Boy, I sure did. <laughs> that's how she remember my phone number. I didn't have to give it to her on a piece of paper. It's just like, look on the side of my car. <laughs> yep, yep, that's yep. awesome. That's some awesome. of his friends said, you actually drive in that car. <laughs> that gets us where we need to go. I don't know. It's kind of funny. People are always looking at us when I'm in it, but uh, yeah. I used to do deals sitting at a stoplight. Somebody would call me like, is that you in the car? I need to sell my house. And I was like, yeah, where are you? And it'd be somebody like three cars behind me or across the way and like, all right, just pull into the McDonald's right there. I'm happy to talk, see what we can do. And I mean, I bought at least a house or two per year. 
off that $200 vinyl obnoxious sign on the side of my car, but it worked. It, it was a nice marketing tool. And it, and it well, got also, you a great also wife. counts as a write-off, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was hundred percent write-off, you know? And I mean, I went down, my, my social depreciation was pretty bad. You know, I, I was lucky to get a date and she, she worked through that, but you know, the, the wealth, the wealth was, was good. No, it's awesome to, to see. And we've, I mean, I guess we had you on kind of in the early days and, and have seen this portfolio scale over the years. So at this point, you're just about 100 doors, some of it with a partner, and you're basically living the financial freedom lifestyle that you probably wanted to design when you first started this journey. Tell us about the transition to taking a year and moving to Spain. Why did you kind of do that? And, and what was the plan there? I think I'll let Kira talk about the why, and then I can talk about some of the how and the details. I don't, why do we do that? Why do we go to Spain? <laughs> well, we like to mix it up. Back in 2017, we also spent, we went to Ecuador for a year and a half. And so when we first met, one of the things we connected over was travel and um, spending time abroad. And I was a Spanish teacher. And so I like Latin cultures. And uh, we wanted our girls to become fluent in Spanish. And so they were three and five when we went to Ecuador. We dropped them in the deep end and they learned Spanish and they swam and they loved it. And so when we came back after a year and a half, they proceeded to forget their Spanish pretty rapidly, (laughs) unfortunately. But then um, we knew we wanted to go abroad again at that point. We were thinking four to six years. We weren't sure exactly. And so COVID happened. We hadn't even thought about going abroad at that point. But then we were looking at our daughter. She was starting sixth grade and looking at with high school coming up, middle school, high school, we didn't know when it was going to be possible to get away. So, And Chad also has had whisperings and thoughts about mm, thinking about writing a book. I thought, oh, we'll be going abroad again very soon. <laughs> he doesn't realize the time he went with that, but um, he needed to get away to have a little extra bandwidth to, to write the book. And um, I was very happy to go away with our kids because I love the experience of living in another country as a family. Yeah. And just, there's a lot of logistics that go with that. It's kind of fun. Parts of it were not fun, but I mean, just the visas, just getting a, a visa in Ecuador was a little bit simpler, although that was more difficult. It was difficult. You had to get a college degree, show you have a college degree. Essentially, countries often don't want, they want to show that you're not trying to take a job from the country where you're going. So you'd have to show you have enough financial means or show you have a you know good professional background that you can work at a high skilled job. So that's that whole process was always interesting. Carrie did a, the, at the very end. She had a stack of paperwork like two inches thick that we had to take to the we had to mail to the embassy it, in Miami, right? Yeah, and, it wasn't even an it didn't fit in an envelope. It was a box, and it was a full time job for at least a month or two to gather all the documents to make the copies. It sounds kind of ridiculous. It doesn't seem like it should have taken that long, but it did. It was a process, but it was it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, and then there's other details that are kind of fun. Like we our kids are going to go to school there, and we some people homeschool when they're going abroad. If you're traveling a lot from place to place, place. We did a more for us. It was just stay in one place in Granada, Spain. And we went to a local public school. And so we had, a, we found somebody on the ground there, kind of a consultant who would help us go talk to the local principal and help us find a rental property because we didn't even travel there before we moved. We're just like, all right, we're just gonna like, hope this works out and rented a house, um, found a school to go to. We had been to Granada before and kind of knew the neighborhood we wanted to be in. But yeah, all the, all those details are kind of fun. We like all that, that preparation and the process and get to start pretty early, you know, 12 months or so, nine months, just to make sure you get, get all the details. But that for us, that's kind of part of the fun, fun part of travel too, that you think about it, you look at maps, you wonder what it's going to be like, and then that anticipation turns into the actual experience. And for us, it was being there and like, and kind of immersing yourself in the culture. Our kids were going to school every day. We met a lot of parents there in the local public school. And then I found, for me, I like to find sports to kind of as an outlet. Carrie does more. She took classes and she was teaching English to people and just kind of one-on-one. And then I, I took a... Um, 
I found a soccer group. I don't play much soccer. I hadn't played soccer since high school, but Spain loves love their football. And so I would play like pickup ba- uh, soccer and basketball. They were my two things. And so I made a lot of friends that way. So yeah, it's just it's kind of like plopping our life from the US and kind of putting it down in Spain and then doing a lot of things we normally do, but in a totally different culture and place. What an incredible experience and so valuable for your kids and your your family as a whole. Chad, do you, do you also speak Spanish then? Si, hablo español ahora. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know Spanish before meeting Carrie or this is something as a family you worked on together? Well, the first time we met, I told him I was a Spanish teacher and he said, oh, I'd like to learn Spanish. <laughs> that was my pickup line. It was kind of corny, but... <laughs> he really did, and he'd taken classes before that. But when we were dating, we spent well in two before. Wait, when was that? Another trip, two thousand nine. Yeah, we we spent time abroad before we got married, and then after soon after we got married, we spent six no Four. two two months traveling around, and he took Spanish lessons. His Spanish got great, really, really good. And then yeah, that's the cool thing when you go abroad. I mean, you you can immerse yourself in some kind of learning activity. For me, it was languages, and so in, we were in Peru in two thousand nine. Before kids, we need a lot more bandwidth and focus, you know. And I just went to I was went to Spanish classes every single day for four hours for a month. And if you do something for a month every single day, you can learn it really quickly. And so I came back. Carrie is a Spanish teacher. She's like, you're using the subjunctive and the past subjunctive, all these kind of crazy <laughs> tenses. And like, it's like, yeah, I don't think I do those anymore. But I, that was my best at that point. I've kind of deteriorated since then. But that, that's part of the fun part, too, when you can speak the local language, then you can really connect with people and ask more questions and like the soccer, you know, learn, learn all the real words in Spanish, all the cuss words as well when you're playing football or, or soccer. And then, uh, but yeah, like the language part was kind of a fun, fun part for all of us. What would you say were some of your most valuable lessons you learned together as a family in your time abroad? That's a difficult question. That's a great question. Um, there's a couple of things. One would be kind of trust the process. You know, we knew we'd done the things that we needed to do. And then just for us as a family, once we had a routine, it helped a lot to get everyone doing what, you know, have their own activities. So that was helpful as a family to have routines, things we love, learned as a family. I think it was, it was just a lot of learning. We love to go places and explore and and um, making connections, meeting people, putting yourself out there a little bit outside your comfort zone is where you learn. And sometimes when we're here at home, it's hard to put yourself in situations that you really get outside your comfort zone. So it's a big stretching, growing experience, sometimes not easy, um, but usually worth it in the end. And so I'd say that was one. The girls really, really enjoyed the trip. They had hard times, but at the end, as we were thinking about staying, we weren't sure if we, well, we were always planning on coming back after after a year, but there were many families that were staying for a second year. So for a long time, we asked the girls, okay, on the scale of zero to 10, 10 is you want to stay. What's your stay and go scale? And they said, well, we're a five that we want to go back to the States. I don't know if I explained that scale right. So they were ready to go back to the States. And then it was six. And then by the last week, they're like, it's a nine. We want to stay. <laughs> and so they really appreciated the connections that they formed, the friends there. And their Spanish had always also gotten to the place that that they could really communicate and make friends. And that was part of the, the patience and the process, like we, I started to talk about, is that it, took, it takes time to develop relationships. You can't just drop in and expect it to be wonderful. So you can kind of have to go through the ups and downs and it's... um. I guess a little tiny lens into what life is, right? So it's an intense experience. You see the intensity, the growing phase. And um, by the end, we all we all loved it and had fond memories. 
Yeah, I think a lot as a parent about character development, it's kind of a hard thing where you have to like, how can you teach them to fail, for example? And this was a kind of a safe environment where they can go somewhere. You're having to learn another language. You're having to meet new people. It's awkward. But, you know, that's that's life too, right? Those skills can translate to all sorts of things when you go to college, when you go to a real job or whatever you choose to do. So I, I think for me, seeing them grow in that respect and being able to help them through those little, those little, you know, let them fail, let them fall on their face a little bit, but then help them get back up. And all right, you got this, you can do it. That was pro- probably the best as a parent, the coolest part of the, the whole process. What was the transition like coming back to the States? And do you think you'll do this again? You know, we were worried about the transition back. One of the things when we went to Ecuador, we both, we actually got depressed coming back because it's just such a, the location, the type of lifestyle we were in. We were in an urban area in both Ecuador and Spain, walkable, Walk, you know, I'm big on walkability. We both are on being able to walk to the grocery store, walk to the kids to school. Coming back to the U.S., one of the frustrations we have is just the whole um, infrastructure is built on, only around cars. Like I like driving a car, but you know, if you want to walk to the park, you gotta you almost get run over by a truck trying to push your kids in a stroller. Like when that happened to us when we had kids that, that young. So that's been part of the hard transition, just being in the car all the time. <laughs> just it's, it's kind of stupid, but it's that's that's and one for me. People are out in public. You know, you go from your car, your house to your car, in your garage. You go to where you're going, you walk to where you're going. So there's not like in between spaces where you run into people in the streets. And so that was one of the things. And a little bit more spontaneity, the nature of being an expat in other countries. A lot of people are working online, so have a more flexible schedule or, you know, even people that work full time, you just run into them in the streets. So there's not the spontaneous um, meetups with friends here in the States. So that's kind of a culture shock, reverse culture shock coming back. It's hard to it's hard to have to schedule to get together with your best friend two weeks out. You know? <laughs> it's a very American thing to do, though. <laughs> but we, we love the, the nature, we're, the nature aspect of it. We live in Clemson, South Carolina. It's a small town surrounded by forests, waterfalls. So like that's it's outdoor people. We're really eating that up and getting on our bikes and, you know, drop the kids off at school and go ride our bikes together. That's That's been really amazing. That's great. So at, at this point, you are 100% in real estate or what? Is there anything else uh, in terms of your asset allocation? Yeah, we're pretty, we're very heavy real estate. I'd say 85% real estate. And I'll talk a little bit about how I've been concentrated so much that can be had its own risk. So part of what we have done over the last seven, eight years is reducing the debt on our real estate portfolio. So, you know, we thought a lot about diversification and we do have about 10% in stocks, mainly in our uh, retirement accounts. So those are kind of just a completely backup plan. All right, the real estate doesn't work out. We concentrated in real estate a lot because we wanted to retire early. We wanted to live off of this income and I still work and we still do things, but we wanted to be able to live off our income earlier in life. And to me, real estate, the income component of real estate, the fact that you can use it to build wealth, you can use leverage to get started without a lot of capital. And then as you grow, one of the transition points we made was, all right, we have enough wealth, we have enough net worth here, but this is a transition a lot of people as investors don't make. They just keep growing, 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 growing forever more, keep the goalposts keep moving. Instead, we started looking at it saying, all right, we have a $100,000 saved up here. Why not use that to pay off some debt instead of buying four new properties or two new properties. And that was accomplished a couple of things that were interesting. One, it increased our income because for example, we had a $100,000 loan that $1,000 payment and we'd had that loan for 10 years. And because it had amortized a lot by us paying that loan off, we freed up $12,000 per year. So it's essentially kind of like a 12% cash on cash return. And you're also reducing your risk. So although even if it's a long-term loan, you know, if things get really bad, you and rents dropped and you had to, or you had some other calamity, which could happen, you know, black swan events. We having l- lower or no debt 
just made us more resilient, even though we were concentrated in real estate. So that's been a big focus of ours is getting like the loan to value of our portfolio from what it was originally, 70% of our value of our properties down to like 10, 15% now. So, you know, a lot of our properties are free and clear. Some have debt. Um, but so we're not, don't necessarily want to be hundred percent debt free, but we are at a much more safe, resilient place, real estate wise. And then the stocks and then a lot of cash too, just some cash on the sidelines as well, or kind of the, how we round it off. Are you still, uh, are you still contributing to your retirement accounts? Yeah. Yeah. We, every year we, we don't have a, we thought about doing a solo 401k. We could probably, probably put even more in there, but we just do the typical traditional IRA for each of us. We also like an HSA. So whenever we have the high deductible uh, savings or health insurance plan, which is the ne- the negative is, you know, it's like $13,000 deductible every year for the family, $6,500 per person. But then we can set aside money. I think this last year, $7,500 or so into your HSA. And we don't use that money. We just set the money aside, let it grow, just like we, and we have it in um, both real estate and stocks. We have a self-directed HSA account. So that money is growing almost like a really cool... Uh, Roth IRA or something like that, because you can take the money out to use it for health insurance costs or health costs anytime. So we'll just let that grow. And then if we don't use it for health costs in the future, you can take it out just like a traditional IRA and pay taxes on it. So that's, those are the two, two main vehicles, the IRA and the HSA. That's great. I'd love to talk a little bit about your book that you wrote. Or are you still working on it? Is it out? It's out. Yeah. It's in the, well, I guess we're not, not on the video here, but yeah, we've got, came out in, in July and it's called the small and mighty real estate investor. And that's part of what Carrie was saying. I spent about six months when we were in Spain, writing that just every morning for about an hour. And sometimes getting away allows you to focus and think about it. And it kind of goes back to my story, the motivation, the reason I had the itch to write it was that I'd seen a lot of the, got a little frustrated, honestly, by a lot of the real estate information out there, education online about, it was almost assumed that everybody should grow, 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 be big. And more so that successful investors are the ones who are the biggest. And I have no problem with people going big. I'm glad people do that and it serves society. But I think most real estate investors, at least the ones I know, are okay with just having five properties, 10 properties, 20 properties, because they just want to get to the number, the minimum number they need to have the lifestyle they want. And then they want the lifestyle. They want the freedom. They want the flexibility. And so that's, I wanted to write a book that kind of gave a different perspective on how to be successful as a real estate investor, both with the philosophy of it. So the small and mighty philosophy, and then also what are the tactics look like? How do you negotiate for that? What does the financing look like? Ultimately, how do you pay the debt off if that's what you want to do? So that was sort of the the itch that I had to, to kind of share that with people and try to give a different perspective. You mentioned you're still working some now. What does work life look like for you at this point? Yeah, as a combination of Carrie and I, Carrie can give her answer as well. For, for me, it's a combination of non-paid work, like nonprofit work. I have a, a nonprofit that Carrie and I are both involved in and some local friends. Going back to the walkability issue, we were really frustrated in 2014 by that fact that we live in a small town that is completely built around not being able to walk anywhere. And so we... I asked the local planner and the kind of city council people, is anybody working on this? Is like something happening with this? And they're like, not really. No, no, nobody's working on it. So as an entrepreneur, I'm like, all right, this is something that's important to me. And so we started raising money. We started getting a a plan from the the county, donated some money to, to hire some engineers and planners to put a plan together to build like a 30 mile network of walking and biking trails in our community in Clemson. That was the start. We were optimistic, but it's taken a while. And we've we've raised several million dollars now from different sources, grants, private donations. The city has put in a lot of money. The university's put in some money. And so just this year, like while we were in Spain, they started building the first three to a half mile segment of that of that network. And it's got we have a lot of momentum now. And so I, I spend time kind of like the 
spark plug for the organization, just talking to people, raising awareness, posting on social media. And so that's like a 10 to 15 hour per week. Depending on the week. Yeah, depending on the week type job. And But it's just, it's a passion project. And then I also do Coach Carson stuff. So writing the book, doing a podcast. I really feel like called to be a teacher and be an educator. So I enjoy that, making the making my podcast, making videos, doing little tutorials on YouTube, showing people how to run the numbers on real estate. That's between that and those two things are most of my time. Real estate's about two hours per week. This is kind of the where it's settled into now because we have property managers and systems and processes. So that was part of our evolution was by going abroad and living in Spain, we had to get systematized and processes and we had to get a team of people doing that for us. So that's been the side effect is now that we have a lot of time to, to do, do other stuff and carry has her own her own stuff that she does. I'm not that involved with real estate. <laughs> I've been to many real estate conferences in my life, but it's uh, it's been a long time. Um, but most of my stuff is language teaching. I teach Spanish. Um, I haven't taught Spanish in a while, actually. Um, but I teach more English for speakers of other languages. So I do that for fun. And um, so it doesn't make money like real estate. <laughs> that's for sure. It's pretty much volunteer work, <laughs> but it's enjoyable. We both, I mean, have been involved in our community too. Like Carrie's on the board for the local uh, city has a kind of recreational department board that helps like, advise the city council on things. So we just, we find issues that we're passionate about and important to us. And we're like, all right, let's get involved in those. And sometimes you get over involved and then you kind of have to pull back, but that's, that's just part of the fun evolution now. Well, what you've really done is, is bought yourself time back. Uh, by setting yourself up in this way. So you're able to use your time how you'd like and, and these causes that, that mean a lot to you while still making a great income. Um, so at this point, you're not purchasing any more real estate. Is that right? Uh, not, no, I, we are. It's just much at a, a slower pace. Like for example, in, in June, we had a property that was right next door to another rental property we had. And I've talked to the owner for years. He called and said he's selling it. And I said, I, I would love this location. Let's buy that property. And we didn't get a, like a home run of a deal on it. But it's, I've, I've kind of learned over time with real estate that there's two aspects of a good deal. There's the quality of the location and the property itself, which is going to lead to long-term growth of that property and the ease of renting it. And then there's the numbers. Like So we've had deals where we bought them 60 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar. Spectacular numbers today, but they were not in a great location or the property had problems. So you could flip it and make some money, but it wasn't as good of a long-term asset. And this kind of fit into that great long-term asset. It fit exactly what we look, we're looking for. Brick house, three bedroom, two bath, crawl space, walkable to the elementary school, good location, big backyard, fenced in. So it just met some of the, checked a lot of those boxes of like, what we're looking for from a property. And then the numbers, we, I think we bought it, we did buy it at 200000 and it's probably a $250,000 house. So we got it at a discount, but we have to put probably fifteen twenty thousand dollars $20,000 into it. So, you know, not a, like a good deal, right? And today, a lot of people are still having trouble finding good deals. So that we're buying like, here and there, one or two properties per year. We're also doing some investing with other entrepreneurs, like some other real estate entrepreneurs who, like we have one uh, partner who is in Montana and he and his wife bought a little eight unit multi-unit property. It's like a boutique hotel, basically. And it's in a good location near downtown Kalispell, Montana. And they did a conversion or upgraded it to be like a really nice boutique hotel. And there, so we we invested with them, but they're the operators. We're not doing any of the day-to-day stuff. They get paid to do that active management and we're the money kind of behind the scenes. So I think that's what we're interested in doing a little bit more of that and kind of diversifying our geography a little bit, just with people we know and people we've already met and trusted for for years. And that's more the, it's almost like a venture capital for real estate kind of behind the scenes. Wow. Amazing. I, I love how you're able to be picky now, you know, yeah. a, a, in a good way, right? Uh, you're, you're not... 
reaching for deals. If it's a great deal and something you're excited about, then, then it's something you can go for, but you don't have to go for it. So last question before we before we move into a little bit of rapid fire, what are you doing to teach your children about wealth and do you have any accounts set up for them? Well, um, we, we just generally have questions and conversations. I think one of the things I learned growing up, both my parents were entrepreneurs in a way. My mom was a head of her own uh, dental practice. So she had to start that practice when I was really little. And my dad is a, was a CPA, but he he then started his own business. He first he had a computer business and then he had a real estate business. So there's always just conversations about money and not like holding that back. So for example, we were at the table, kitchen table, and our daughter, younger daughter was just asking, like, how much does that cost? How much does that cost? And I felt I feel like that's a good, good sign. Like she's not afraid to ask about those things. Like, how much did that cost to go to the she asked, how much does it cost to go to the doctor, for example? We're like, well, you know, we have to pay hundred percent of that and we we pay this. I think we this case was a hundred dollars that we just paid out of pocket. She's like, that's a lot of money. I can't believe that cost a hundred dollars. And she's like, I don't know that we need to do that. I was like, well, no, that's a good, Carrie's like, that's a good investment because that's your health. And we think that we're okay spending that much money. But then she also sees we're at the store and she wants like a $10 plastic thing. And we're like, no, like that. Cause that doesn't really, how, how is that going to help our life? How is that going to make it better? You don't, you already have a lot of plastic things in your room. And so those, I think those just conversations have been one thing, but. I was also asking too about how much our activities cost and how much are we paying for these? And so I think she's valuing it more for me. I grew up in a different kind of household. Money wasn't talked about at all. And, um, but I always had enough. I grew up in a, a wonderful house. I never lacked for anything. I had what I wanted, but we never talked about money ever. And so it was a shift, especially with the real estate world. People talk about money all, all the time. How much did you make on this? And how much? So it was a shift to start talking about money all the time. But with our girls, they're very mindful of it. So I, I like that we're able to have those conversations with them. And our oldest is a, an entrepreneur. She's always trying to think of ways to, to make money and uh, have a, a job. So. so we definitely fan that flame. And the other thing that I've, I've really enjoyed is playing um, money games with them. Um, one to me, the you know, there's positives and negatives on the rich dad, poor dad kind of stuff, you know, like the but the rich dad game is fantastic from a real estate investing standpoint and just learning the like the principles are very realistic. So we've played that game, the cash flow game, so it's called. And so as you go through the people haven't heard of it, when you go, you have to get out of the rat race. So you're in this like, you know, nine to five kind of rat race and the goal you have to keep at a ledger. You basically have everybody has this like account balance sheet and income statement. And so you have the little sharpened pencil and you got to write down art and you get at the beginning of the game you, you just just like life you draw like all right i'm a janitor i'm a doctor or i'm a teacher and each one has its sets of income and expenses like doctors often have these really big expenses and all these things and if you have kids you got to pay more money for the kids and, and so you go through all this rat race but the way you win that is by buying certain kinds of assets and understanding what assets look like and how and when you buy stocks they can go up in value a lot and you can use that growth to reinvest in something else and Real estate, you know, houses don't make a lot of cash flow, but they go up in wealth as well. And then multi-unit properties produce more cash flow. So there's all these little little pieces that our, our kids play because people love games and kids like games. And now they kind of get it. Like our kids are like, oh, we, one of these days we want to buy a duplex. Will you help us buy a duplex? I'm like, I'd be happy to. You know, that's music to my ears. Of course I would. So that, that game kind of got them getting it more than just like a, an adult concept. They're like, oh, that's something that could... I could do to help me. And we try to emphasize and have a conversation about like, you're, they're very artistic and creative. Like you, you can follow your passion. Like that's wonderful. Please do that. That's how you're going to contribute and find fulfillment in life. At the same time, you might need to do these other things on the side to actually make money <laughs> because art artists aren't always rewarded 
teachers aren't always rewarded like they should be. So just having this conversation about money as a tool, that understanding it, you can do a little bit here on the side, whether you have a side gig, you're a freelancer, or you have some skills you can trade money for, or whether you invest in real estate, like those things are going to allow you to do those things that are really important to you. And they've sort of seen that directly with us traveling. And we'll talk about the money like, hey, we're in Spain here because we made these investments and we're able to spend time with you and pick you up at school because of these investments. So I think it's become more tangible for them because they've been experiencing it while we're talking about it. Right. Uh, That sounds like a very cool game. I think we'll need to get that when our (laughs) kids get a little bit older. (laughs) I recommend it. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) So far, any games that we get, they just lose all the pieces. I know where they are. I find them in a bucket later and I throw them away. Yeah, I I look forward to not losing. Nine or or 10 years old is probably a good starting point for that. Longer attention span. It it takes a while to play this game, for sure. (laughs) You got a while. (laughs) Actually, do you... Do you give your kids an allowance? For a while, we had a system set up that there's certain things that they have to do. No, we've never done it. We've we've gone through phases, and we if they do certain jobs, there's certain jobs they have to do at home. They just they have to clean the bathroom. That's what they do. Um, But then there's things if they go above and beyond, we would pay them for those things. We've kind of gotten out of the habit with Spain and with their school schedule, their activity schedule. They're so busy. So I hit a every once in a while we'll do do we'll go we'll be fine, and all of a sudden I can hit a point that like I'm not doing this anymore. (laughs) I need your help, and so everyone once in a while and get to a point like, okay, you all have to start doing your share. And so then we kind of back up and say, okay, so try to come up with a plan for them to help. Um, and then certain things that are harder work that they'll get rewarded for and they get paid for. But we don't, we haven't done a, an allowance. We haven't been, we've not been consistent with it. Like, I think kind of like a game, we've used it for a year or two at a time. And it, it for example, we, we use these little envelope system, kind of like the Dave Ramsey system. And they, when we paid them $10 or $20 for their help, they had to put in, or we encouraged them to put in like a third of it for giving, like, where do you want to give this money away? A third of it for saving for the future, some big object they wanted or some big thing they wanted. And then a third, they just got to blow it and spend it. Like, great, like go do something with it. So, so I, that was, to me, I think really stuck with them of like, part of your money is to spend, but the rest of it has to do other stuff. And there's a cycle here and there's giving and there's also saving and just delayed gratification. So they still, they've forgotten about some of the saving money they have. And they just realized that when we got back from Spain, they're like, we have $30 in the long-term savings account. Like, yep, you do. And so they're planning to buy some furniture or something. I don't know what they're going to do with it. That's great. Thanks for sharing. I'm always curious what other parents uh, what systems they have in place. And I feel like it's usually a constant recalibration. You don't usually select one thing and keep with it forever, but uh, we're always trying to keep keep kids interested in, in being motivated. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Well, it is. Well, let's go ahead. Um, we'll wrap up with a couple of, of rapid fire questions. And I'm sure you did rapid fire your first time around, didn't you? I think we did. Yes, I, if, I, if okay. I remember right, but I love I love rapid fire, and we'll between the two of us, we'll figure out how to how to respond. <laughs> I, I wasn't here for the first one, so I don't know what you've answered and what you haven't. So I'm just going to throw a couple out there, and so we'll we'll see what Jace comes up with if he takes anything out. If you already answer, I, it'd be a different answer now anyway. So yes, all right. What is the most fun you've had with money? For me, it's travel. I mean, we could go into all the all the details of the stories we talked about. Carrie, what about you? I wouldn't say the same thing. This last year has been from 2019 was just, wait, I wouldn't talk about 2019 wasn't not the year I was thinking of at all. It was not 2019. It was this last year when we spent in Spain the whole year, the months building up to it. We took a six 
week, no, four-week road trip out west before we left for a year. <laughs> and so we got to see some amazing things and go beautiful places and have wonderful experiences as a family. So definitely travel. Experiences. I think that's the thing. Yeah, we just we just bought a car recently because we had to. The other old car just broke down. And I, people get fun experiences from cars too. So I get that. It's just not our, our fun. Whereas traveling and doing that with our family, those those memories and we're going through the pictures now and telling stories to people like that. It's like the gift that keeps on giving because you keep on recycling that in your mind and, and the stories and the, the pictures. What's worth spending the money on and what's-, what's worth spending the money on? I mean, to me, health is worth spending the money on. We're kind of in that kick right now where uh, I'm going to a physical therapist because I have plantar fasciitis from walking all the time in Spain and I'm going, you know, going to the doctor. You know, th- I think those kind of things have just reminded me like our health is number one wealth. That's the thing that you need kind of as a baseline to do any of these other stuff that you want. And where nobody's guaranteed a certain length of life, but if we can be healthy and have well-being, to me, that's just a no-brainer, including food and the type of food you eat and eating good nutrition. And experiences as well. Things that we can do as a family and remember having special times together with family and with friends. We had a, at the end of our trip, we, uh, there was a concert for a, a musician that our girls really love. And it was after weeks of travel when my family came to visit. And so there was this one concert and I thought, oh, it would be amazing. And so... We spent the money on it. We splurged, and it was a really, really fun experience as a family. And just ignoring the fact that we spent money on another ticket, we're like, yeah, that we're just going to buy another ticket. Like to, to be able to to say that and do that and not be worry about it. And like the return on investment is our life. This is fun. Let's, let's experience it. And not so we've been frugal before. We've done that. We are frugal on other things. Like for us, it's cars. It's we're living in the same house we've been in since 2012. You know, we're slowly upgrading things here and there. But it's not like we're not trying to as as we need it, as is comfortable. Our furniture, a lot of it's still used. Like hey, works for us. That's cool. But not not afraid to splurge on travel experiences, health, those things. We'll, we'll, we'll spend all we need. What's the most expensive piece of clothing that you purchased or oh, accessory? Man. Carrie, what do you think? I don't know. Carrie just bought a backpack. That's not a, is that a, is that kind of clothing? I don't know. <laughs> that was a big investment for me, uh, a backpacking backpack. Mine was 20 years old and <laughs> had been eaten through by a, a, a Zorro, a fox, and uh, wasn't ready to be replaced. That was a big investment. And clothing, shoes. We replace running shoes a lot. So shoes are a big investment. Yeah. Hiking shoes are not always cheap, but I've I found that with like running shoes, I'll just buy the $50 ones on sale. I don't really care. He, no. She doesn't. She buys nicer ones, but hiking shoes, I feel like they have a good soul. They last longer. Many of them have a good return policy. So I've spent 150, 200 bucks on hiking shoes without a problem. I know that's the big scheme of things. Accessories, that's probably not that much, but uh, I don't know. For us, I asked my my daughters are kind of more into style and fashion, and I'm not. And they're and they're like, you know, here's my style. This is what I look like. And here, and I'm like, well, what is your dad's style? They're like, um, you wear t-shirts and you wear outdoor camping stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, that's always where we spend Yes. All right. What's a closely held belief that you've changed your mind on? I think early in my career, I was, people might have heard like the hustle culture. You know, I came from sports. I played football in college. I think hustle is important where you just work hard. And I think that's a kind of a foundational principle of anything that you do that you're successful in, whether whether you're in academics or whether you're in sports or whether you're in business, your career, your family. But at the same time, I think I've changed my opinion on that and that it's like, yes, and like, yes, work hard and take some really good breaks. And I almost look at like when you're climbing a mountain, if you just pushed hustled all the way to the top of the mountain, you'd probably die. Like you're 
climbing Mount Everest, you've got to take these breaks. You've got to like go down and up and down and up and stay at a plateau. And, and so for me, like the, some of this has been like forced learning, like Carrie saying, let's take this trip and let's get out of town. And like, I, I'll just give a quick story. I was hustling from 2003, four when we first, when I started my real estate business until 2007 and then eight and nine during the recession, that was stressful. And Carrie and I went on this four month trip to Spain and South America that we talked about earlier, where I learned to speak Spanish. It took me six weeks to really relax. And it was like, we were sitting on this little bench in Cadiz, Spain on this beautiful coast. We spent like three or four hours out there reading and Carrie took a nap, saw this beautiful like shooting star. And it was like, right about that moment, I felt this knot in my chest, like untie and just like release. I'm like, what, what was that? Like, that's crazy. And I think that was the hustle. Like that was just the, there's an anxiety and there's a tension that comes with growth and pushing and hustle. And that's, that makes you successful in some ways because you're pushing it. But at the same time, it can kill you sometimes if like midlife people have heart attacks a lot of times. And also it can hurt the other parts of your life that you ignore and you trample over in the, in the meantime. So I think just having a nuanced view of hustle has been a big belief, belief shift for me. I wouldn't say I've like, I still believe in hard work, but I think it's yes. And yes. And do you need to balance that with some, some relaxation and some thoughtfulness. Love that. All right. Last one. What's the craziest thing you've done to earn money? Oh man. While Carrie's thinking about that, early in my career with our real estate, we would, it, it was tight. Like if you didn't get a property rented in 60 days, you know, like you, we don't have enough cash like to withstand this thing very long. And my, uh, my business partner and I would jokingly say like, what stage of like urgency is this thing in? Is it like, we need to like get extra ads on out there to try to get it rented? Or is it like the gorilla suit stage? And what he meant by gorilla suit was like, we'd seen some of the people out there like in a gorilla suit, like with signs saying, go, you know, come buy this gold jewelry or whatever. And, oh, and so know. like, we were like, so I did, I did not ever get in the gorilla suit, but I had a property that we couldn't rent or we were trying to sell. And like, I got out there on the corner like downtown in this area with a sign to saying like open house. Open, I mean, like me physically out there, my business partner at the house, I've made cookies for the, you know, at the open house. Like, so like if things are tight, when if this come back to like, what are you willing to do to, to get this, to make this thing happen? And for us, it was like the gorilla suit was always the, the metaphor. Like, Hey, if we got to pull out a gorilla suit, like that's fine. That's one reason I put the We Buy Houses stickers on my car. I went to a conference and somebody said, are, are you too embarrassed to be successful with your business? Are you too embarrassed? To, because, you know, the fact is, if you spend 200 bucks on that, you'll buy houses that make you 10000 20000 $100,000 for $200 return. So really, your embarrassment is getting in the way of you being a successful investor when you're in like the this critical growth stage of your business. And I was like, huh, all right get out of my own way, swallow my pride, do what I got to do. And I, I feel like that was a symbol for me. It was like, I'm all in. Like I'm, I am all in on this business. I don't care what it takes. Embarrassment aside, like that's, let's do this. Fantastic. Final piece of advice for someone who's just starting out. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm hogging the conversation with Carrie, but I would just say you gotta, you have to mix the big picture vision with the, the nuts and bolts of just the tactics in the, in the present moment. It's just, it's a tricky balance, you know, because you know, you do want to think about where you want to be and I want to be fine financially independent, financial freedom. But I would say probably 5% of your focus should be on that, maybe less. 
and 95% of the focus should be just using that, that the big picture just as a guide, like a compass. The 95% is you figuring out today what you can do to move forward today. And like I like, I like to make a list and just say, here's one thing I could do today that'll move me forward in my investing. Maybe it's setting up an account. Maybe it's moving some money to my retirement account. Maybe it's, you know, calling three people who might lend me money on my real estate. Like that's where the rubber meets the road, those tactics. And that's, it, you come you combine hundreds and thousands of those little, you know, progress points, they turn into that long-term thing. But that's something as a new new owner, entrepreneur, investor, you, you can get, kind of get overwhelmed and wrapped up in the big picture and lose sight of just, you just got to move forward a little bit by a little bit, by a little bit, and have some patience. That takes a lot of patience to be able to do that. But I would also add, you have to have fun with it. If you don't, if, if you're, if you're in some wealth building vehicle, some career that you're not having fun with, like, what's the point? Like, what's the point? You, this is your life in the first place, but also what's the point? Because you're not going to sustain it. If you're not enjoying it, like joy is like this gift we have that allows us to learn and allows us to put our enthusiasm into things. And if we're just kind of half-heartedly doing something, we're not serving the people we're supposed to be serving. We're not serving ourselves. We're not serving our family. So find, you know, find a balance between something you really enjoy, something you're good at that also adds value to other people. And then you're, you'll you'll sustain that. You'll actually stick with it. But Joey takes a while to get there. You can't just go if you like and you don't because you've got to do those little, I'm listening to Atomic Habits right now, but there's the little things that you have to do and those actions that you have to take every day. And they said the number one thing for success isn't, you know, who, it's really who can get past the board and of, of doing the same things over and over again. Yeah. And so the, the habits, the more hours you put into something, the better you get. And the better you get, the more re- rewarding it is. So just taking those little actions and moving you, doing the little things you need to do to to be that person, to be that, have that career or whatever your success areas that you choose. I think if I could say two words that have uh, jumped out at me or would maybe sum up a lot of what you guys have built for yourselves is I'm hearing longevity and I'm hearing livability, right? It's <laughs> it's building the wealth so you can live the life that you want for a very long time. And that's uh, that's very admirable and, uh, and you must be very happy with the life that that you're able to live now. You said it very well. Thank you for summarizing it that way. But yeah, well, I think we pinch ourselves sometimes. I know things change and things can go, but I feel like we've, we've had some luck, but we've also had some things we've done well and done right. And and so hopefully, my hope is that by people listening to this, hopefully there'll be some tips and some ideas that will really resonate with other people and they'll help you if you're early in your journey. Like, you know, it is a grind a little bit early on, but that in the big picture, I'm always amazed that whether you use real estate or something else, a 10 to 15 year period of hustle and focus, and it can accomplish a lot. Like it, There are people who go in their 70s and 80s who have very little wealth built. That's the average. That's the norm. So if us, you know, people listening to this, they're in 10 to 15 years, you can accomplish a ton, even if you're starting from zero. I find that to be incredible that we're in a place in the world and in a time that that can happen. So I'm, I'm optimistic. That's I got to leave, leave people with it leave people with that. Thank you so much. Well, Chad and Carrie, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. We enjoyed it. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire. Millionaire.